0: This podcast is brought to you by Florence Filters, leading company in air filters that care about your air and have been since 1971. Good morning, everyone. This is Brandon Matloff in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Stella Oak Mavens Podcast, where we feature different mavens in different fields. A maven is an expert of an expert. They are the go-to person who you would want to ask all the questions to before making a decision. The purpose of our podcast today is to make our consumer more knowledgeable. Today, I'm really excited to host Dr. Claudia Aguirre. With a PhD in neuroscience, Dr. Claudia has traveled the world lecturing on her studies on issues from neuroscience to skincare, general health, and wellness. Throughout all her work, she has strived to increase the health of our body and mind and extend our longevity. She has her own blog and has given many TED Talks, which is actually how we found her. Today, we will be exploring some of her work and focus on the future. Welcome, Claudia.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks
0: for having me. So one of the most uh, interesting things I think that I read about you was that you were pretty much self-taught as a researcher and doing your PhD. Can you talk about how you were motivated to be self-taught and how you you learned the background of being a neuroscientist?
1: Yeah, well, the self-taught part came after the PhD. Um, So getting a doctorate in uh, hard science, really teaches you how to do really nice investigations. Um, You know, when you leave a PhD program, often you don't do the same research that you were doing in grad school. So you take the skills that you learned, and those skills that you can take are researching skills. Um, So what I did is after I got my Ph.D. in neuroscience, I started working in the skincare world. And that's where I'm self-taught. I just went directly to the literature and looked at all of the latest scientific papers, the review articles, the best researchers out there and read all of their studies to make um, decisions about how to best teach about the latest findings in the skin and uh, how to use them in a practical setting.
0: Dr. Aguirre, when you were talking through one of the TED Talks early on um, and you were talking about uh, being self-taught and learning kind of on your own, there had to be some motivation for you to learn. What, what was it that pushed you to learn uh, after your PhD? I
1: think it's just always been a lifelong, you know, curiosity about everything. Um, I've always been interested in how things work. And I think that sort of came from childhood. I remember my mom saying that I used to take apart those, those little birthday cards that you open and they would sing and there's a song that came on and I would just open it and kind of tear it apart to see, where is this music coming from? Um, so I think I've just always been a curious person and uh, striving for knowledge has been a lifelong passion.
0: Okay, so bring me back to your days at SC, by the way, go Trojan. So when you were there, did you have a sense that this was kind of the path that, that you would take?
1: Definitely not in the beginning. Um, when I first started the program, I had just come out of the NIH, and I was just doing basic research, and I thought that that, that was the path. Um, I was pretty focused on that. But I was also really interested in everything else. Um, most of my social circle, um, they, they, they weren't scientists. Um, they weren't studying science. Um, and so this opened my field of view to other areas like uh, marketing, in particular sports marketing, and, and business and design and architecture, and things that I would, never would have touched, not even in college. Um, so I think that really drove me to look for ways to sort of used other abilities that I thought I had deep inside, like communicating, for instance, Um, things that you're not necessarily taught in a PhD program for a science like neuroscience. Um, And so, yeah, I think it it really was a a motivation from seeing other people work in different fields and, and me wanting to kind of integrate some of those fun you know, areas into my possible career path. I didn't see it at first, but by my second year, I was already looking for jobs way outside my
0: field. And so this was kind of an area that other people really weren't exploring, especially people that were in marketing and design. You think of people going to marketing and design firms and architecture firms. And then you think of people going into neuroscience as like people who want to do research and work on the brain. But you figure out a way to kind of connect maybe two things you you are interested in. And so I think maybe a, the, the segue would be Explain what you do on a design from like an air purification company or, um, you know, how do you connect neuroscience to like an air purifier, right? Like how how do you, how do you connect the two?
1: Yeah. um, I think it's already connected. So I'm really just connecting dots that are already there. Luckily with, with my work with Dyson in particular, they make this beautiful air purifier. Um, I had already done research at USB on the effects of air pollution on the brain, and we looked at how pollution um, can lead to things like dementia and early onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, so this is a new area, and I was doing a side project on that, and that's how Dyson learned of my work, and um, and we just went from there. And what I do is I help companies like, um, you know, the big companies like Unilever, or Dyson, or Um, companies that have a lot of different products that are science driven, um, but direct to consumer. And I help them communicate that science, the theory behind why this is an important issue. So not necessarily the product side, but why this issue is is worth talking about.
0: What's interesting is like actually the, uh, the sponsor of this podcast series is uh, Florence filter, which is an air filtration company. So basically there is science going on in, the filtration. And what you explain is like how that affects the, the, the human, right? That, that's how, how, whatever is happening from a a neurology, neurological perspective, that's how you figure out how to connect, connect those. So can you talk about, um, I think one of your, your, you're known for is talking about what the ectoderm is. And so maybe for our listeners that don't know what the ectoderm is, can you explain what that is and explain how it, um, Corresponds to all, all the neuroscience and design and marketing.
1: Yes. Yeah, um, well, the ectoderm is an embryonic tissue, so this is a very early tissue layer um, that's found in, in the you know very early embryos, um, and there are three layers, and one of them being the ectoderm. This ectoderm gives rise to cells of the brain and of the skin. So the neurons, the cells, the melanin, um, and the melanocytes, and also the skin cells, the epidermal skin cells. These, uh, this is important for me to talk about because this is how I connect the brain to the skin. Because I basically just have to say, look, at one point, the brain and the skin were the same tissue. So now we can move on and talk about how they're so just how they're connected, how they're related, and why it's important to. Understand the skin from a much deeper perspective than just this kind of superficial understanding that we have of it. Um, so that's really um, the area that I focused on. And when I went into skincare, I didn't leave neuroscience. I brought neuroscience to skin and beauty and and any aesthetic, you know, procedure because I talk about the effect. Of what you do on your on your skin and how that affects the mind, but also vice versa, how things that are happening in the mind, whether it's stress or anxiety, um, increase inflammation, and that then leads to changes on the surface of the skin.
0: So when I'm thinking about the skin and like changing surfaces on the skin, one thing that immediately comes to mind is uh, tattoos, and so I guess mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. Uh, Why are tattoos permanent on on the skin?
1: Well, you can watch a lovely little TED animation that I've worked on on that. I'm sure you've seen it Um, This is a, a question again. You asked me earlier, you know, how do I like what drives me? This is a very good example of just plain curiosity. I'm sitting in my office doing research on something skin related And just looking for ideas about maybe a blog or something. And I thought, wait a minute, let me try to understand tattoos a bit better. Um, I don't have one myself, but I know kind of how they work. But then I was thinking about it, like, if your skin sheds every day, if your skin sheds tens of thousands of cells per day, then why is that ink still so deeply ingrained in the skin, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later? um and so this is this is you know what drove me to try to look for that question and I did research and I found nothing and finally I found an obscure paper that had um sort of a pathophysiology of tattooing and this led me to do a little bit more research and put it together in a story and I created a TED lesson around this and we animated it and it's it's gotten quite popular and actually picked up by a lot of different media, from The Atlantic to newspapers around the world. Um, so it's it's obviously a little area that you think about and you don't know quite the answer to. Um, but I'm glad that I could at least provide some insights into that. And sure. then the reason is the reason is the immune system. So the reason is that there are these specific cells called macrophages um, that kind of gobble up our ink. Um, because they continuously fight off this uh, attack in the skin, and they think it's an invader. Um, and so that's the reason why the ink stays in there, because these little macrophages kind of gobble them up, stays in their belly, and even when they die, other macrophages that eat them also have that little bit of particle in their skin, oh, sorry, in their belly. Um, and when you cut someone's um, lymph node, even even in the neck area, when they have like a long sleeve of tattoos, then um, they might be black, Those which means that our body consistently tries to uh, get rid of every ink particle for the rest of our lives.
0: Interesting. So what happens, or maybe it doesn't affect at all, but what happens if you have someone with uh, a low immune uh, system?
1: Um, so a weakened or a compromised immune system is, is someone that would have to be really wary of getting a tattoo. For example, somebody with psoriasis, um, this is a metabolic syndrome that affects the skin, um, and it affects the immunity. And um, because there's more inflammation involved, you could get um, like a breakout of psoriasis, plaque psoriasis in particular if you tattoo the area. Um, so I wouldn't really recommend somebody that has a compromised immune system to tattoo themselves. They might overwhelm their
0: system. Interesting. I'll have to podcast someone that like owns a tattoo parlor and ask them if they uh, have people sign waivers that have psoriasis when they're doing it. All right. So, so, so um, I have a couple interesting questions for you. So one is I'm, I'm wondering like now you've been able to reach, you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people really in, in the world of Ted talks and, and how well you've done, um, how have you adopted You're you're now like an informer of the masses. So like, what does that mean to you? Like, what is being in front out in public on, um, relatively, uh, an issue that not everybody understands? Like, what does that mean? You're like, you're a, um, influencer in a, in a sense in, in this space.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, it means responsibility. For me, it means maintaining scientific integrity and making sure that every piece of communication that I deliver isn't just cherry-picked and, um, you know, not substantiated by a decade of research. Um, so when I write, even though I write, you know, shorter posts here and there, um Everything that's there is based on research. That's not just one article that came out. It's, it's based on decades of research. So my my go-to are review articles that or meta-analyses. And this way I know that I'm covering a larger ground, and I'm not saying anything that's a little too, uh, um, you know, I guess on edge or something. And I, I'm a little um, moderate, I guess you could say, when it comes to claiming things um and i help companies with their claims as well whether it's in the skin world or the brain world i worked with a company called headspace and i was helping them sort of realign the claims that they were making so that it wasn't too out of the scientific integrity box
0: when you say headspace are you talking about the iphone app or something or something completely different yeah
1: yeah yeah it's um, it's an app meditation app um it's on phones it's online as well so i worked with headspace as a resident neuroscientist for a bit of
0: time i'm wondering earlier when you were talking about um getting in this field you talked a little bit about like what could potentially be intimidating as as your role has has grown over the years what is there any part of the this process for you that you've become this influencer that's becoming intimidating and and are, are you scared to do anything
1: <laughs> At the moment no. Um and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm always up for a challenge.
0: I love it. Um what else should what else should people know about your world? Like what, what do you if if anyone could ask you a question, like what do you want them to what do you want people to know about the space that you're in?
1: Um, I guess if we're talking about the health and wellness space, I want people to understand that there are gurus out there, but they might not have the background that's necessary to fully understand what's going on in the body, in the mind, um, you know, or or in the literature, uh, because obviously they don't read the literature. So I would be I would ask people to be a bit more skeptical when it comes to hearing the latest fads and trends, fad diets, and um, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be diet. It could just be anything health and wellness related. Wellness is a very big, booming industry. It's in the trillions now. Um, it's a very money-centered industry at the moment. We have tech, uh, gadgets and, and books and cookbooks and um, apps and just about everything. And For me, um, you know, I provide the science behind a lot of that, and a lot of that is there and it's true, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So just getting people to think twice about something that they hear that might sound a little too good to be true.
0: I hear what you're saying, but I also think that when you hear a trend or or something becomes popular out there, if you wait for the science, like if you wait for uh, Dr. Claudia to come out and do the whole report on it, it might, by then might be too late to, to get in something and try. Cause it could be essentially a couple of years later before, you know, you're actually commentating on a, a certain trend or not. Right. And not every single trend you're commentating on. So how does, how does a consumer supposed to know whether or not they want to trust the, uh, like, what would you do in the, in that scenario? Uh, if you yeah. want to trust whether or not one of these claims are, are legitimate.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, The good thing is that most of these trends happen after science has happened. Um, So that's the good thing. So the good thing is that science doesn't try to just catch up. Um, Sometimes medicine tries to catch up with science, um, but that's a whole different Story because, obviously, when you take something from the theoretical side to the bedside, um, there's a lot more obstacles and a lot more things that you have to do to make something practical. So, oftentimes, when someone picks up a trend of, you know, putting butter in your coffee or running for five minutes and then stopping, you know, all of these things... Um, there are studies that have already been talking about this for probably decades. Um, so that's the good thing. The, the only thing I would say is just look for qualified experts in this. I'm not the only one. Um, so there are other experts out there, but just look for somebody that has a qualified degree that knows how to do the research. That's the most important thing is somebody that knows how to do research so they can sort of comb things away and, and push away the things that are cherry-picked or funded by a specific industry, um, you know, these are things that a skeptical scientist would
0: know how to do. It's funny that you mentioned that. Even in my own business, in, in financial planning, uh, you know, sometimes people that do research on our team that have a background in science uh, carry a lot of weight when they're giving recommendations on different things because they've been able to do research on whether or not something is a, a good financial decision or not. Even... If their background isn't in finance, but it might be in in research. So, so I hear what you're saying. And there's other role models that you must have had in your in your past. That you know, you mentioned other people are, are doing the same thing. You're not the only expert. So, um, can, maybe you can talk a little bit about your your role models if you have any, and and um, who are they, and you know, how'd you meet them.
1: Um, I guess my, my primary role model is probably my my own mom. Um, just you know her resilience and, and also her strive for education has really driven and shaped me as a person. Um, and when I say there are other experts, there's a ton of experts. Um, I still haven't met a specific expert like myself, which means um, a neuroscientist working in the skincare and beauty world. Um, I'm kind of semi-surprised that there are more scientists in this area because, like I said, it all started with the exoderm. Um, so in, in that area, I had no one to look up to. I had no one to sort of look for as a mentor. Um, I had to just put pieces together, connect dots. I looked at the PhDs that were in skincare and they were mostly chemists, um, biochemists, um, maybe our biologists here. And there's some really not a lot of people have migrated out of their silos and their bubbles. Um, and so I look to people that do very many things, um, whether it's a musician, an artist. Um, those are the kind of people that inspire me because they consistently move out of you know a box or a silo that they position themselves in or society has put them in. And they're able to evolve um, on a very regular basis. So there's many people like that. I mean, like I said, it's musicians and artists
0: and um, creative people. You know, a, a couple of podcasts ago, we interviewed uh, Heather Hippensteel and her father Dave, who um, are CrossFit champions, and um, I'm, and they talked a lot about health and wellness and and how it, how it's involved with uh, CrossFit. I'm curious, from a neuroscience uh, point of view, uh, how do you view CrossFit?
1: Well, I'm not a, a CrossFitter, so I can't say exactly. Um, I've done a bit of research on how movement affects the mind and also some areas of physical exercise. Um, is it you know, the only way to attain, whether it's fat loss or better endurance? It's not. Um, there is some really good research behind high-intensity interval training. Um, and, of course, these have specific measures and outcomes. Um, so if it's done right, um, and there's a minimization of risk uh, of injury, then you know if you enjoy it, it's great. If you don't like it, don't do it. And there's other, there's so many other things that you can do um, to to get in shape. Um, you know, you can take a method, like a methodological way of, of working out, or you can go for something that just you enjoy. It's a walk in nature, it's a surf an the ocean. Um, you know, this, I think, has a little bit more of a mind-body element than just training in the gym. So my work tends to focus on mind-body, um, which is why the fitness and, and areas that I, I specifically look at into are things like yoga or surfing or tai chi and things like that, that do affect use the body, but use the body to affect the mind.
0: I love it. So I'm going to do this rapid fire round with you where I'm just going to ask you a couple questions and, and I want to kind of understand uh, some other things about you that, that no one knows. So uh, number one, uh, what is your favorite book?
1: UNC. Uh
0: Who's going to win next year, uh, UCLA or USC?
1: <laughs> USC.
0: Uh, why don't you have any tattoos? I can't think of
1: something I want for that long
0: uh if you were not doing biochemistry and neuroscience uh what would we find you doing on a a sunday morning
1: um maybe reading a book
0: and then what is your favorite workout uh regime
1: um i've been doing boxing training lately and i'm enjoying that
0: fun Thank you for playing the uh, rapid fire on. So, so Claudia, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share, or you know, if people are interested in neuroscience and how they can learn more, like how do they follow up with you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, if anyone's interested in kind of just reading my musings about the mind, body why we are here, how we're all connected, um, these sort of larger topics. Um, I'm online. Everyone can find me on social media. It's just at Dr. Claudia, D-O-C-T-O-R-C-L-A-U-D-I-A. And that's also my website, drclaudia.com. And my blog link is on there. Um, And I try to provide, you know, information that people want to hear. So please let me know what you want to hear, whether it's more about, you know, how your skin works or more about how your mind works. I'm happy to do anything.
0: Well, thank you. Um, Really appreciate it. It was really fun. Dr. Gary gave us a lot of new um, things to think about today. Uh, This has been a Stella Oak Mavens podcast. We embrace you, the listener, to take control of your life.